And welcome to another episode of G220 Radio. This is Ricky Gantz along with Mike Miller and the original Natty P is with us again this week. And this is episode number 471 here on G220 Radio. We got a a good program lined up for you here today. Looking forward to this one. Uh, Really excited to have these brothers on. Some for the first time and some have been with us uh, previously, but uh, really looking forward to the the program tonight. So um, why don't we go ahead and uh, turn it over to you, uh, Nathaniel, and go ahead and uh, introduce our guest for us. All right. I am Natty P. Uh, I was down at the Super Bowl outreach this year in Tampa, Florida, with Jason Saab uh, from Appalachian Cry Ministries, uh, Trent and uh, Trent Marbury. Uh, he goes to church with me and Jacob Stafford uh, from, well, I'll just let you guys introduce yourselves. Uh, you can go first, Jason. Tell us who you are, how many times you've been on the show, and what you do. What you do. Like a repeat offender. You there? <laughs> Jason? Yep, I'm here. All right. What, uh, go ahead and int- introduce yourself for the guests. Oh, you want me to start? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. My, my audio wasn't working. Hey, uh, Jason Taub with uh, Appalachia Crime Ministries uh, here in West Virginia. One of the team leaders uh, this year at the Super, uh, Sports Fan Outreach International um, Super Bowl Outreach. Uh, Trent, who are you? Uh, my name's Trent, and uh, this is my first time on G220 Radio. Um, I, th- it was also my first time down at the Super Bowl. uh, great time. And, uh, currently I'm studying for ministry at our reformation, uh, Bible college. Where is that, uh, Trent? It's in Orlando, Florida. Nice. Online courses then? Yep. Online. And then, uh, eventually I'll have to transfer down there to actually finish up in person. So mm. hopefully that's a long ways away. Cause we'd hate to hate to lose <laughs> you up here. Yeah, 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 I know. I'd miss you guys. <laughs> All right, and Jacob, tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your ministry. Yeah, I'd be happy to. And thanks for having me on, brother. Uh, I'm Jacob Stafford. I'm a first-time offender, first time on the show, first time actually to the Super Bowl outreach as well, where I met some of the brothers. And what I do is I make evangelistic videos of street witnessing, uh, very much akin to Ray Comfort that kind of one-on-one interaction, showing people what it's like uh, to get out on the street and what kind of things can happen. And for context, I'm doing that in Texas right now. So we're going through our fun little snowstorm at the moment, but most of the time it's nice and sunny, good, uh, good weather conditions to go out and do that kind of thing. Hey, Jacob, how, how long have you been doing the, uh, the videos for evangelism? Well, I've done it off and on as a passion for a little over a year. But for the last six months, I've really gotten serious about it. Mm-hmm. And so I've gone through this transition phase of beta testing, creating some video content that I've now posted on YouTube to now starting up a ministry full bore, going headfirst into that thing. Yeah. What, where, what is the link to the YouTube uh, channel in case people want to yeah. check out your stuff? So the web page that I have up right now is a promo page. It's watchmenwm.org. So again, that's watchmen, as in the plural, wm.org. And that'll take you to the YouTube page. Um, it's also Watchmen. 
Uh, it's WM for witnessing ministry, by the way. For those of you who are curious, that's what the WM stands for. The idea is that it's not a church. It's not a parachurch organization at this point. It's a ministry specifically geared and directed toward what it means to be a witness on the street and whatever facet or capacity that means. So street preaching, one-on-one, -on -one, tracks, song, prayer, all those different components. Nice. I'll have to go and check those uh, those out when I get a chance here uh, after the program. Look, look forward to seeing what you got going on there. So I know Nathaniel's going to kind of head this up, but I just, it, it's really... It's really encouraging to me uh, to see a couple new guys, and, and Tristan was going to be on with us tonight. Unfortunately, he's not able to be with us. Um, but a couple new guys able getting or being able to get out to uh, one of these sports fan outreach uh, events for the very first time. Jason, I know you um, have been to more than one. You've been doing ministry for a while. Uh, maybe you can speak a little bit of, of what it's like when in the encouragement to see these new guys get out there. For the first time, um, yeah, yeah. The, um, the from a team leader perspective, that's one of the things we pray for. We start, you know, our team leader uh, retreat in the Super Bowl city starts on Labor Day weekend before the Super Bowl. So we've been praying since then. And for some of you guys that are new, we, you your answer to our prayer. We we pray for new guys to come every year and to be able to, because when Living Waters back in the days before me used to do these things like the Super Bowl and use these for training and outreach and so forth, they stopped and there was kind of a vacuum created and sports fan outreach kind of fell into that vacuum. And so Bill Adams has been very adamant about us trying to purposely target uh, guys that are have never been there, that are that are you know new on the street and whatever, to kind of bring them in because there's a lot of great preachers, um, street street guys that you can really learn from. I mean, Robert Gray was there, mm -hmm. Joe Toy, Mark Yoho, Bobby McCreary, Michael Coglin. Um, there, I'm sure there's others I'm leaving out. Uh, Jeff Werner, uh, some of these guys that are just fantastic street preachers. Uh, Heath Heath uh, Putzel, obviously. Um, and so, uh, healthy really, Heath. what's that? Healthy Heath. Oh yeah. Yeah. Heath, Heath and I, that shows you this, how, how wonderful Christian fellowship is because you can be a carnivore like me and still be a brother in Christ with a vegan like Heath. So, uh, but anyway, yeah, so that was, it was actually intentional and looking forward. Um, uh, I'm hoping that, uh, that, that trend continues. Hopefully this year, if they have the Derby, um, we'll see some more new guys to Derby to, kind of baptism by fire this this year mm -hmm. i haven't heard anything otherwise so still luck so jason what all uh what all goes into to the planning uh you kind of have a, a front row seat to that as a as a team leader so what all goes in behind the scenes before uh before your team even shows up uh in yeah February? so well bill starts usually um, all the way back around April. So here in about another month, month and a half, he'll start reaching out to guys he wants to be team leaders and ask you. And, and then once he selects his team leaders, it's up to us. to. Stay. He wants you to have a minimum of 10. So I try to recruit, you know, I try to invite probably 30, 40 guys and you know, whittles it, you know, God will whittle it down to what he wants. And then, um, and I can speak to some of that later on, if we have time to show about God's sovereignty and all that. But so we, uh, we get the teams picked. Um, 
for the team leaders, it's it's a lot of uh, admin work, getting guys to get their registration, getting their form signed, all that stuff. Uh, Bill also has us to um, up until I think it was last year in Miami. The year before was where Atlanta, right? Yeah, in Atlanta they had Simeon's Trust and uh, Pastor Josh Bice because he was local to come in and help train the guys there in the training sessions. Starting last year in Miami, he kind of shifted that over to the uh, team leaders. So the team leaders. Um, actually take fill that void of, of teaching. And the way we do that is Bill picks a theme every year. This year was the person, character, and work of Christ. And so he provides us with a list of books um, to choose from. We have to choose from, uh, read it, and then um, we all come together, like I said earlier, at the team, team leaders retreat in September. And, and all this time we've been, you know, assembling our teams, getting everything together. And then um, we te- do that teaching in front of each other, do like a peer review, and then we make some notes to fine tune it and whatever. Uh, and then from that point forward, uh, that's when the prayer calls really ramp up. Um, uh, we, you know, we usually for team leaders, we have, uh, it's a, it's a pretty good commitment. I mean, we got, you know, a prayer call with Bill one-on-one. We got a prayer call with other team leaders. Then we got a prayer call with our team. So we got three of them a week. Um, and then, um, so like from probably early September to right up in the Super Bowl your life and your personal schedule will revolve around those three nights of the week. You have this prayer call. So, and then, uh, all along that time, you know, there's, there's getting guys together, coordinating things. And then there's some admin work that goes into it, but a lot of, a lot of prayer, a lot of prayer. And I really believe that, uh, that's why every SFO I've been, I've been, been to has been, uh, pretty smooth. And I, I think a lot of the, the biggest reasons cause it's just completely bathed in prayer from head to toe. Um, and these other guys were on prayer calls. They can probably speak to that. It was, it's, it's really that. And the fact that, you know, behind the scenes, the other thing that goes on, a lot of guys don't, don't see what Bill does is, um, so Bill had been traveling back and forth from Tennessee to Tampa, uh, area, probably four, five, six, I don't know how many times before the Super Bowl. And part of that was, and finally God, as he always does, crossed his path with the right police officer who put Bill in touch with the attorney for Tampa Bay police department. He had that attorney talk to his attorney. And so by the time we arrived there, Bill's got a letter for us that everything's smoothed over. The cops know we're coming. They know who we are. That's why they don't bother us. I, you know, we, you were there. We, you know, they don't bother us. And that, that's why. So when the hate preachers like uh, the Pelagians, the Reuben Israels show up, that's why they're, you know, gated off somewhere on a quarantine because they don't want to deal with those guys. But for us, it's always been, you know, different. So there's a lot of stuff that goes on. That's just like a, 3,000 foot view. There's a lot more than that, but that's kind of some of the workings behind the scenes that goes on. And then also on our team leader retreat, we'll spend that whole weekend, not only teaching, but praying. And we usually pray between two and three hours a day uh, on the team leader retreats. And then we also go out and do a bunch of reconnaissance looking for places to preach. So. Now, and then uh, I know you had put on a training uh, on the Thursday before the Super Bowl, which uh, I attended, it was uh, some do's and don'ts of how to prepare, how to prepare, uh, prepare to preach. Uh, Jacob, you also uh, attended that training. Do you want to uh, speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I'd love to. So that was uh, a nice introduction for me because the whole world of open air is still a brand new frontier in my mind. I'm I'm just getting into it. And I've watched. Uh, a dear brother, Joe Henson, preach uh, at Denton, Denton, Texas, leading up to the Super Bowl. But this was the first time I was really getting into it at a deeper level. 
So that workshop was a really good introduction point for me. And there was a couple different points in there that I still am chewing on, to be quite frank. Um, the, one of the biggest ones is how you put the precedent and timing, you know, leading the thing up with prayer, maybe even fasting on certain occasions. You know, we're just talking about prayer now, how God has answered so many prayers. I couldn't agree more. I mean, everything from going out and having the equipment actually survive so that it wasn't destroyed to having favor with the police, to having favor in our preaching, to being able to say the right thing. I mean, obviously there was a lot of prayer that went into that leading up to that time. And uh, it was neat to see that referenced in the teaching as well. And I, that's a whole nother tangent I can go on to about the prayer meetings themselves on the trip, but I'll digress. In the, tr in the workshop though, another point that I really um, continue to chew on is how to bring open air preaching to um, the context of my local church. So as a guy who was there for the first time, one of the things that I'm wrestling through is, wow, this is amazing. I really want to press into this. I really want to do this thing. But how, how is this going to work with my local church? How do I even approach my elders with this kind of thing? And so hearing you guys talk about that uh, in the shop, uh, just a little bit to give me some of the wisdom, that was really helpful. That was a really helpful piece to, to at least broach. Yeah, that, yeah, that's very important because we don't want to go out and go rogue. Uh, we want exactly. to be be involved and have the oversight of our local church as much as possible. Trent, uh, did you? I'm assuming did Heath's uh, hermeneutics training? No, I actually you you didn't make it. You no, no, I, I didn't party. make it. I was I was a little late. <laughs> that's right. Everybody, everybody told me it was awesome, but. Uh, Next year, I will I will have to try to get there earlier to be able to be a part of that for sure. All I know is I was watching Jason McGow's video. He's showing everybody singing, and he swings around, and I see Trent there, and I'm like, I didn't even know Trent was going. And so I was like, <laughs> Trent's at the Super Bowl. This is great, you know. So what, uh, what, what were some of your first uh... – First impressions, Trent, as you uh, were a first timer at the Super Bowl. Um, for me, I, I think what what was probably one of the most encouraging things for me is the hour of prayer that was spent uh, in the morning. Um, that was deeply encouraging for me, uh, just because I've never been in a situation before where there were 70, 80 plus brothers in Christ that were gathered and were praying and you could feel the presence of the spirit there. And it just got me energized for the whole day because I know that these brothers had been praying before the event and we're all gathered together and we're all very excited to be able to hit the streets. And so just, just from what Jason was saying that, you know, Bill bathes this and the leaders bathe their time in prayer, just, just to know that there was, that time of prayer in the morning, you know, that was, that was super, super impressive for me just because, you know, in times past, even when I've gone out on the streets, like we prayed a little bit of time before uh, we started out, but just spending that hour in prayer, you know, for me was, was deeply encouraging, you know, to be able to hear other brothers pray. And, you know, so that was just very empowering, you know, before we went out onto the streets and um, also, you know, just, just having conversations with guys that are in full-time ministry in that capacity, 
uh, was deeply encouraging for me uh, just to be able to talk to other guys who have run into issues, you know, with their elders and with their pastors um, just about being street preachers, you know, and, you know, not having your pastor fully on board with it, not having your elders fully on board with it. And I'm like, man, I've, I've experienced this as well. So it's just so encouraging to be able to talk to other brothers that have experienced that same thing and, and how they've navigated those waters, especially uh, coming from their own churches. And so there's, there's just tons and tons of things that I could talk about. Um, but I would say that those two things were probably the most, you know, as a first timer for sure. Yeah. Did, uh, how about you, Jacob? Do you have any, uh, other first impressions that, uh, that were new and different and exciting for you and to that effect? Brother, I got lists, literally lists (laughs) in front of me. I've been chewing on this thing for a week. Uh, I'll, I'll share a couple more. So, um, one of the other things that Jason said in the workshop was the attitude piece, right? So he's, I forget which verse it was exactly, but I think it was from second Timothy. He says, he literally said, burn this into your memory. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I really took that and started to chew on it because here I am with this framework about how to have the right attitude to, to proclaim the truth of the gospel, to proclaim God and his glory with gentleness and respect and trusting that God will grant repentance to have that kind of mindset, you know? And then I had a chance to see it play out because, you know, I'm going out with guys, seeing people respond to the gospel in various ways. And these guys like Joe Toy and Joe Henson and Heath have to exhibit that kind of attitude as best as they can with the grace that they can in that moment, you know. And so there was this very interesting um, meeting point between what I was being told and I actually got to see it. Like that was such a cool experience from this trip that I, I would have never had. Cause you know, it's one thing to read about uh, tools and tips and attitudes that you should have when doing a given ministry, let alone open air. It's another thing entirely to behold it, to see a mm-hmm. model of it. Right. Yeah. So that, that was such a cool thing for me uh, to see those dots connect. Cause now I have that reference point when I go forward in my own practice, trying to figure out, okay, how should I carry myself? How do I make this real? How do I, how do I make it practical and applicable? Yeah, so I'll add that one and then one more um, to that prayer point time, man. That was something fierce. In addition to that, I would even say the worship time too, because for me being around, what was it, 80, 89 guys who are all open air guys, they they sing from the gut, like from the diaphragm. So when they're singing, they're like singing. It was so, oh, so encouraging. It was so good. And like you said, it was it was a, a power up. It was, um, no, it was more than a power up. It got us into the right mentality to go mm. out. It was a worshipful mentality to get into before we went out. And I didn't expect that. You know, that was, that was a surprise. I didn't expect getting into the place coming onto the trip. And don't get me wrong. I don't mean that as a knock. I just mean that in the sense that to be so profoundly um, connected in the unity of the spirit through prayer and through worship that empowered the word to be that much more effective as far as I could tell. Right. Yeah. Really good. I, yeah. That's definitely uh, something that I noticed for my first time last year was uh, the, the worshipful atmosphere of it. So that when you get, get out onto the, the street or out in the field, you're uh, already primed, primed the pump to be worshiping God in, in public. And uh, it's, it's, it's more of a, a worshipful labor uh, that way. 
Um, how'd you guys, how'd you first timers find the uh, duration of the outreach? Cause I know uh, here at home uh, we, we all are where we're from. We all do our own outreaches. Uh, how'd you find the, uh, the duration each day? How was that for you? Um, for me personally, I loved it, man. Um, I, I was, uh, I was talking to Tristan. I, I know he's not here tonight, but we were having a conversation cause we were up at, uh, the clinic in Cuyahoga falls. Uh, Nathaniel was there as well. Uh, it was like for two hours and it's like, once you experience the full day of like eight to nine hours where you're out on the street, you know, it's warm outside. It, it feels great. And then you come home and then you do two hours. You're like, wait, seriously, this is all, this is all we're doing. Um, so for me, the duration, you know, it was, it was taxing the first day, but after you do the first day, um, the second and the third day get easier, you know, just, just for me in my opinion. But then when you come back here and you're doing outreach at clinics or you're doing We may have lost Trent. So Jacob, why don't you go ahead and uh, yeah, share some, some of your thoughts on it. When he comes back, I can yield to him. So one of the things that I, uh, I'll, I'll do this in two pieces. So to the positive, I was really excited to go out for the long days. I was not prepared. I had to figure out how to like stand on my feet for eight hours or whatever it was. My feet got tired and the, the sleep conditions were adverse as well. But all that being said, going out and doing the thing was really encouraging. It was really exciting for me because I get to see, again, the different models. And as we're doing the work for a long time, you get to see people rotate. And you can see this whole team dynamic that Jason mentioned in the workshop. And it was, it was really cool for me to see all those different pieces come together and to go out and do the work co-laboring in that sense. We would like help each other take turns preaching or hand out tracks or handle situations, take turns to go get food. It was just it felt very um, mission oriented. I think there's a, there's a certain kind of appeal there mm. when you had that shared kind of mission when you're going out to do something. But to the negative, the second point there, because it felt like a mission, it felt like there was a lot more spiritual warfare involved. There's mm. a lot more opportunities to like have your mind drift in bad directions, you know, be that from what people are dressed in when they walk by or just vulgar comments or hate or whatever it is. There's a lot more opportunities where you have to wrestle between the desires of the spirit versus the desires of the flesh. So it's a prolonged, prolonged battle. If I can use that language, yeah. it's a longer stint of engagement. And that's not, I'm not saying that's a detriment. I'm saying that was a reality I didn't expect. And I was grateful to have other people there with me as we were going through that to strengthen one another. And I think, it showed in the work. So I have a question there for Natty P and you, Jason. Um, we'll start with you, Jason. How was this year's Super Bowl different than last year's in Miami? Kind of a, a pre-pandemic to kind of a post-pandemic. Um, because obviously even the stadium wasn't completely full like a normal Super Bowl would have been. That's a good question. Um well, back up and I take a beeline for a second. It's kind of indirectly related to that is, is I mentioned this earlier, you know, God's sovereignty in all this is just, if you really think about and you, you step back and you start looking at all the pieces that were in motion, 
You know, you see Tom Brady's contract not working in New England and him going to Tampa and the the game being played in a, in a, in a stadium that's in the state with the biggest uh, biggest freedoms during this scandemic. And then you've got the, um, the, the home team, which has never hosted the Super Bowl before in that all these little pieces come together. And, and I, you know, I really don't care about sports enough to pray about it, but we were praying, the team leaders, we were praying for the Buccaneers to go to the Super Bowl because the, the idea was it would bring a bigger local crowd out. Um, and, and you see what happened. And so, so you fast forward and you look at this, the pandemic. Um, it, it's interesting because you, I didn't think of it that way, but now that I think of it, yeah, you're, you're right. It's an interesting comparison. So in the stadium was at uh, 22,000 was the original thing. I think they ended up letting 25,000 in. So yeah, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. So I know, and I know the crowds around the stadium on Super Bowl Sunday were, were uh, kind of limited. And, and I don't know, Jacob, if you were, uh, one of you guys were over there. I wasn't over there. Uh, I kept my guys. We went back to Ybor City um, on on Super Bowl Sunday. But the um, but the the crowds were um, I, honestly, I was astonished. Uh, they were almost normal um, because on on uh, Friday, Saturday, and Saturday, or Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, um, and earlier in the week, if you came for the 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 extended tour. Uh, the bill offered um, the Super Bowl fan experience is where all the crowds were at downtown Tampa. And this year they had, they had three of them set up. So we had there's and plus you got the river walk there in Tampa. Um, so combine all that. Plus it's the home team that's playing in the Super Bowl. And, and it was just arranged where they were, the crowds were fantastic. They were, they were, we were really, um, a lot more than what I thought there would be. I mean, we were, well, I won't lie, we were a little nervous. I know Bill's a little concerned because, you know, guys guys spend their vacation to come to these things. Some guys take their vacation time to come to this. They sacrifice time away from their family, not to mention the money. And, you know, in a sense, you're a little nervous because you're like, man, I don't want these guys to come and just have, especially the new guys coming for the first time. So it was a, it was a, I don't want to say a gamble, but it was, it was a little, you know, walking by faith for SFOI and his team leaders. Cause you know, one point in the talks, uh, if I can give you some of the behind the scenes discussions, we were considering what neighborhoods we could go into uh, in fear that the crowds may not be there. But um, I, I arrived the Friday before the Super Bowl, So I was there for 10 days total. And that Saturday and Sunday, they actually opened up one of the sport, uh, super, uh, the uh, experiences and I couldn't believe the crowds. It was it was amazing. And I think a lot of the Buccaneers play in right there in their home city. So um, as far as um, the people, um, Miami uh, folks were very apathetic, very apathetic. I mean, they just didn't care. Um, and I know sometimes for, for a street preacher, that's harder to deal with than a heckler when people just don't care. And they're just like you're just they're, you think they're ignoring you um, in Tampa. Um, the folks were more receptive or more engaged in what we were saying. Um, but I saw a little bit of that even here. And, and as you guys maybe will speak to this since this COVID stuff hit, people are listening a little bit differently now because they're getting this surround sound HD uh, view of James 414, right? They know with this COVID and everything, I'm not in control. I could go at any minute and maybe I ought to listen to what this crazy street preacher guy's talking about. So in that sense, people in Tampa even were listening 
uh, a little differently too. And then there were some folks that are Christian or not, um, you know, they're, they're very encouraged. They were very, a lot more people were encouraged, it seemed, uh, looking for that hope, looking, you know, 2 Timothy 1, 7, and God doesn't give us a spirit of timidity, but of, you know, power, love, and discipline. And so some of the folks were holding on to that, and they were like, oh, you know, hearing the gospel preached, I think, was a, was a, was a, was a balm for that, that, that worrisomeness. I don't know. Nathaniel probably saw some of that, too, I think, when we were, because we, he was on my team. Yeah, um, I definitely agree with you. Uh, I thought the crowds uh, were definitely sizable, uh, just given the circumstances. Uh, I, they almost uh, sometimes seem like more traffic flow than last year. Um, I forget, we went to the one fan experience last year, and it was definitely not as many people, I don't think, is is we saw at the uh, fan experience this year. I think there was definitely more people. South Beach last year, it was pretty packed. Um, I mean, it was the same amount of traffic flow as when we went over to the Bar District. So it was a pretty, really sizable uh, sizable uh, crowds. Uh, with the pandemic, there were some of those uh, types. I don't know whether they really believe in masks and pandemics and all that uh or whether they were just uh finding an excellent excuse to uh lash out at us we're upset because uh they'd walk by our spot where we'd been for hours and we try to hand them a track and uh they'd use oh you got to stay six feet away as like an excuse to not take a track uh there's a couple of those that was pretty funny um I don't know. I noticed uh, some apathy. Uh, there was more Christians, it seemed like, that didn't have uh, time for Jesus than I've seen in in all my life. Uh, so I, I don't know if it's because it's uh, part of the South where everyone's a Christian or, or already or what, but uh, there's a lot of people that wouldn't take gospel tracts because they were already saved. Uh, but there were some good encouraging ones where... Uh, Let me ask you a question real quick there, Nathaniel, and this goes go to all of you. What What is your response when they say that? Uh, my response is, uh, if they're being more standoffish and hostile, I usually talk about uh, one of the assurances of salvation is you love other Christians, so if they're acting hostile, hostile or uh, standoffish, I'll bring that up to them. Uh, or, or if they're, uh, they seem genuine, I'll just say, Hey, maybe you could take it. Maybe you could check and see if it's accurate and, uh, pass it on for me. And usually the genuine ones will take a track and they'll say, Oh yeah, that's a good idea. The hostile ones will just, uh, keep being, uh, Lord, Lord Sayers, I guess. Mm. What about you, Trent? Did you encounter anybody like that? And, uh, did you have a, a go-to kind of response or how you would uh, maybe interact back with them? Yeah, I, I would say for me, my go-to response is kind of like, why would you not want to hear the gospel again? You know, typically if, if somebody walks by and they say, I'm a Christian and because there, there were a couple times when there were people that would walk by that would say, I already, I'm already saved. And then they would be like real angry, like, like kind of like pushing their hand away at me, like get that thing out of my face. And it, for me, I'm like, 
listening to other brothers as they're preaching the gospel and my and I'm being edified and encouraged as I hear the gospel over and over and over again throughout the day. So my go-to response is if you're saved and you love Christ, wouldn't you want to hear his gospel over and over and over again? Why wouldn't you take this track and read the gospel and have your heart encouraged by it? We we had a a, a group of guys that came by that took a track and mocked and, and started reading it out loud and, and things of that sort. And people in the crowd were egging them on to do the same. And I was like, why don't you just read it, man? More people will receive the gospel if you just read the track. Uh, and so it, it opened up further conversation that I had with an individual who claimed to be a Christian. But then by the end of the conversation, he admitted that he had never been born again and, and things of that sort. So I would just say for me, like, if people do that, I just ask them, why would you not want to hear of Christ and what he's done to save you um, and hear of the mercy of God towards sinners who are ruined in their sin? And and what about you, Jacob? And, and I would also think that as you was um, responding earlier uh, and saying how you, in, in one of your negatives, is you have to guard yourself from the lust of maybe seeing, you know, women dressed in a certain way or other things going on. What about even in, in this situation, maybe guarding your heart from responding with a, a, a quick whippersnap or something just to quick get them back, you know? Um, how are some of the, the ways you responded? Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up because I brought up the same thing to the brothers at the end of the trip when I was leaving. I asked some of the guys straight up, look, there's this attitude thing that I'm trying to figure out and work on between, on the one hand, not assuming the worst about people, and on the other hand, uh, giving people a benefit of the doubt, like a, hoping for the best. And so it's very easy in the flesh to like assume, no, you're not really saved or like to go into heresy hunter mode, as I call it, where you're like, oh, you say you're a Christian? Fine. Let's go through the, the doctrines of grace. Let's go through whatever my filter is, you know, and just assume that they're not really saved. It's easy for me to have that critical spirit. And don't get me wrong. Sometimes depending on discernment given in a given situation, you have to handle things accordingly. I'm not saying otherwise. But as, as I practice this, one of the things that I've learned to do is if I have just a tract, I'll just ask them to pay it forward to the next person. Like, oh, you don't want it? Okay, we'll give it to the next person. You can, you can pay it forward. And how they respond to that will tell you a lot about where they are. You know, And like you said, there's, there's also another kind of filter that you can apply uh, in a situation when you have the gospel present. When the gospel is being proclaimed and the people have it or they can hear it, how they respond to the gospel tells you a lot about where somebody's at. And in those two kind of filters, I think it's easier, maybe not perfect, but easier to figure out how to be faithful with, with a situation. If you want to be faithful in the sense of, hey, let's talk more, tell me your testimony or tell me what the gospel is. You tell me what is the gospel. Let's talk and then dig in with them. Or if they seem um, genuine, to encourage that brother, because that meeting is just as providential as running into a lost person, you know, at least in my view. And so I want to do what I can to encourage and mobilize and strengthen a brother that I would meet on a street um, if the opportunity is given to me. Yeah. But it depends on discernment, as far as I can tell. Yeah. And Jason, uh, I know you've been doing this uh, for, for a, a good amount of time, brother. I, I remember... One time I was downtown Columbus with Robert Gray and we were preaching and I was handing out tracks and he was up on the box and he was just, you know, doing what Robert Gray does. 
and people were coming by and nobody was taking tracks. And I remember Robert stopping and saying, because they were going by and they were being polite. They were like, no, thank you. Or I'm good. I don't need that. And he kind of said, you know what? You're going by with all this apathy and this this uh, trying to be polite and saying no, thank you. And then he went all into the gospel on these people that were going by. Um, what are some of the ways? And and, and so I, I try to emulate that at times where you want to respond in certain ways. But as we were just talking with Jacob, I also want to guard my own heart to not be angry when I see this apathy because it can happen. You know, we got to guard our own hearts. So maybe what are some of the, the ways that you interact and maybe some of the experiences you've had and, and how you deal with that? Um. Well, apathy, I think, you know, I've thought a lot about it. And I've prayed a lot about it, talked to some other brothers about it. One of the things we need to guard against when it comes to apathy, um, and I know a very dear brother that that um, he, he, he likes that you know, interaction, but almost borderline, you know, contention there. We need to be very careful with that because I think sometimes apathy can bother us to a point and it, it bothers us because of pride. Because you know, men are pride, we're prideful beings and we want, we want people to pay attention to what we're saying. A part of it comes from a, an honest, an honest, um, you know, love for our neighbor, right? Sometimes true love warns. And so we want to love our neighbor by sharing the gospel, but, but I, we really need to guard against apathy, um, letting it bother us to the point. And sometimes it does me, it's just, you know, sometimes you just, you're just, you're preaching and at the same time you're thinking, man, why am I even here? What's the point? Um, but, but one of the things, one of the ways I, I try to combat it is with scripture. I mean, it's, it's eloquently simple. And I think sometimes we overcomplicate things. I'm a simple guy. Uh, Isaiah 55, 11 pretty much destroys that. Right. Um, if we know that we truly believe that God's word never returns void, we truly believe it always accomplishes what he sets it out to do, whether he hardens some hearts or softens others. If we truly believe in Romans 1.16 is the power of God and salvation, then we're going to continue to press on and press forward. And, you know, again, you never know who's listening. You just, you, you never know. We see stories all the time of folks um, that, that seem apathetic. It seems like, you know, nobody's listening. Uh, Jimmy Hamilton, if you know, I don't know if you're Jimmy, yeah. uh, dear brother, I love Jimmy. Um, and uh, he posted where a lady had saw, uh, he got a phone call from a lady and he asked her, he said, how did you find my number? Where did, where did you get that from? 25 years ago, she was passing by where he was preaching and, and uh, she saw it. His number was always on the bottom of his soapbox, his phone number and a Bible sign. So, so I, I don't know if that answers your question, but for me, um, some of the ways I combat the apathy specifically is try to guard my heart, making sure I'm not offending Christ by my attitude, my actions. Um, and then, uh, you know, sometimes um, I think sometimes it's a test, uh, you know, to see, I mean, I mean if, if a guy is really called to street ministry, it'll be, what is that? Jeremiah 20 verse nine. I think that fire stored up in your bones. You're going to, you're going to press on and you're going to preach, you know, preach to all creation and not, not just to hear yourself preach, but you're going to preach because you're, 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 you're heralding the greatest message ever. And, and sometimes I think God just uh, allows us to be, to be tested and to be, um, I don't know, to, to grow. Those will cost, cost you time to grow. Because I know I find myself sometimes, now, not when I first experienced it, but since I've been out for a while, 
Um, I find myself wanting to pray while I'm preaching. It's kind of weird to do, but you know what I mean? Kind of yeah. trying to be more mindful of God, what's God, you know, doing and, and that kind of thing. So um, as far as people not taking tracks, I don't know. I just, um, you know, there's, there's different extremes. Uh, there's, there's one brother that um, I've taken out a couple times. He's a young guy and um, a church we used to go with, and he's just the kindest fella. He's so kind. Um, the, we were preaching at a festival down, down the road and a guy come up and just, you know, told us we were number one, dropping the F bomb and just cussing us out. And here comes Cam with a stack of tracks. And he's one of these guys, he'll take a stack like this, disappear, come back for more. He just, I don't know how he does it. And he, he starts following this guy I, while I'm watching him, while I'm preaching all the way down the midway, he's following this guy. I don't see Cam for like 25, 30 minutes. Finally he pops back up and I just got done preaching and Eric gets up, starts preaching. I said, Hey, you all right? Where you been? Well, I had to follow that guy. Did he take a track? Yeah, eventually he took it. And, you know, I mean, he's like, no, no, sir, you need this. And so there's people, there's that extreme. And then there's other brothers, um, you know, like, um, I don't have any tracks here, but with me on my desk, but like, you know, there's some guys like, uh, you know, like Mike Stockville just stand there like this with the, with the tracks out, you know, just waiting for somebody to walk by and take one out of her hand. Uh, and then there's everywhere in between. So sometimes I'll do, I think Nathaniel kind of talked, mentioned it. Um, Nathaniel and I had a conversation at the intersection. I don't know if you remember Nathaniel about you needed to be more loving when you're rejected. And I'll let you tell that story. But, but sometimes I'll tell them, say, Hey, you know, if you were a critic, Pass it on to somebody else. I think Jacob said, it. yeah, just pay it forward. Pass it on to someone else. Um, I don't know. I don't mean to ramble, but that's kind of where I would be on that. So you're not doing the whole James and John calling fire from heaven down because they're cursed them. Well, sometimes your flesh wants to. Listen, the Seventh-day Adventist, <laughs> I was all about sitting on a corner of the apartments and praying in precatory prayers, uh, psalms against them. I'm just telling you right now, but... Well, tell us That's about that. I mean, was you guys was was you guys already in that position, and he came and took over, or did you guys come out later that day and he was there in a spot you'd already been well, kind I, of establishing, or what? I don't want to take up all the time. I don't want to take up all the time. The short version is we were there. Uh, we'd been preaching there the day before. The day before we'd been there, and we show up. He's there with his little speaker, and I have some. I put my Super Bowl highlights. You'll see him on there. But uh, you know, just real slick, like a snake oil salesman, kind of. You know, you need to invite Jesus into your heart. And da, 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 da. But he had set up right on our corner. And I say our corner because as God's people, God owns this world, not the heretics, not the cult leaders. And so as a team leader, I'll just be honest, I was a little bit nervous because I'm like, okay, this is one of those moments where if you do the right thing, it's going to be great. And if you do the wrong thing, you're going to look like an idiot. Thank you, Lord. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there, we're singing, right? Michael Coughlin had his books and we're singing and we're praying. And that guy's going to town with a speaker. And I got to thinking, man, a couple of things. One, this is God's God's world. This is God's creation. It doesn't belong to the heretics. Two, I thought, you know what, Lord, let me, I felt like Gideon, right? Give me some confirmation. So I looked, uh, Ricky, you know Ken White? I don't know if you know Ken White or not. One of the humblest guys I, from the day I met him in Houston. I always, I still want to preach like Ken White. He just pleads with people so tenderly, but he's so bold. And anyway, so he's probably the most, loving guy in our group. I looked at him and I said, Ken, we think brother. He's and of course, you know, Ken Patrick, why are you asking me brother? What does it matter what I think? And I'm like, no, what are you? And so he's like, yeah, he said, we should stay. And they said, I wouldn't go. So I was like, okay. And then by God's sovereignty, not my, my wisdom, I'm thinking to myself, you know, who have I, you know, who do I got in the group that, that that's a, a pretty stubborn, you know, preacher when it comes to distractions and stuff, of course, 
Nathaniel came to mind. So I thought I knew I was going to put Nathaniel up because he will. He he won't be deterred. I've preached with him before in in hostile environments. And so I'm like, and then the other thing is, and this this isn't a pride thing, but, you know, I'm finally in the church that supports the open air ministry. And and as open-air preachers, we can stand and say all these things in the pulpit, but if we don't live them out, if we don't let these people see that we're not afraid to walk in faith, then it loses its, you know, it loses the the, the oomph when we preach it. And so I didn't want to go back to my church as a coward. I didn't want to go back to my church as a coward from the Seventh-day Adventist cult. So I thought, you know what, we're going to press on. And, um, you know, so we prayed, and then I think Dick prayed for uh, Nathaniel, and uh, long story short, the guy, the, uh, if you saw my, my post on Facebook, you know, it was, it was Proverbs 24, 9, sin makes you stupid. It does. It makes you stupid. The guy in his stupidity and his arrogance, he turns his speaker. And before he did that, though, he kind of was goading us, right? He's like, if anybody can come here and show me where Sunday is the day of worship and the first day of the week, worship, here goes Michael, you know, with his Bible open, you know, kind of following the guy around like a little gnat in his face, like, you know, and while the, was, and the guy turns his speaker towards us, which was great because the hailer was going out across the entire intersection. And when that guy turns his speaker at Nathaniel while he was preaching, all his sounds carrying into these apartment buildings, no one's hearing him out front. And then eventually he just gave up and went back over across the street to the to the place he was the day before. So God was faithful. Um, and we were there the rest of the day. So, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> talking about God's providence, there's this guy up at the abortion clinic that, uh, all he does is say the same thing over and over again, right in our faces. And, uh, I tell him all the time that he's, he's an instrument in God's hand sanctifying me. And that's like really, uh, prepared me for such, such an experience for that. So, uh, my my advice always uh always love your hecklers because they God's using them to prepare you for other experiences uh, like the one Jason just told us about. Um, and how about how about you, young guys? What uh, you got any exciting stories for us, Trent? You got anything? Uh, yeah, I would just something exciting. Not not only exciting, but I would say encouraging was I got to preach uh, for most of the days there with uh, Robert Gray. Um, and that was for me, it was just deeply encouraging because every time this man stepped up on the box, he just he has such a reverence for the word. Um, this man loves Christ and it just pours forth in his uh, in his preaching Um and just something too that that really struck me. He he always sings a hymn. I don't know if he always does it, but he sings a hymn as soon as he gets up, and then he starts preaching, and he's pleading with people to come to Christ, and he's gracious and compassionate um, in the way that he delivers the gospel. I, anytime anytime a heckler would come up to him, he was always gracious in his responses, um, which is something something that I, I could learn from him. And I, and I thanked him for that because typically for me, I'm, I'm thinking in my mind, what is a, a quick witted thing that I can come up with to respond to this guy, to make him look like an idiot or something like that. And so in seeing Robert in the way that he handled hecklers and the grace that he had upon them, 
Um, it, it really reminded me of what the Lord said, what the Lord says in Exodus 34, 6, that he's merciful, he's gracious, he's slow to anger, he's abounding in steadfast love. And, and really, Robert exemplified that for me. Um, and that was just something that was deeply encouraging for me as a street preacher. Um, but I had a, I also to not to keep rambling here, but I had a, a really encouraging conversation with a guy who um, was part of a group that was really mocking the gospel and mocking the gospel tracks. Um, he grew up in the church and obviously he, he uh, stepped away from the church for a while. And we actually had a really good conversation of, of what it means to be born again. And he's like, wow, man, I, I never knew what Jesus meant. You know, when he was talking about the new birth, I didn't know that it was supernatural. I just thought that I prayed a prayer and, and that just meant that I was in the kingdom. There was never any transformation in my life. There was never any love for Christ, uh, never any delight in his word. And so we we had a conversation about what the new birth produces. And uh, we were able to walk through First John and I was able to, you know, just have a conversation with him about that and you know, pray with him. And then, you know, he, he obviously walked away. So I just continue to pray for him, you know, that the Lord would use that conversation and, you know, give him eyes to see and and ears to hear and uh, that he maybe open his Bible and and God would save him through that as well. So. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really good. I find that uh, one of the chief benefits of uh, going to these events for uh, guys like us who haven't been doing it too long is, is you get to uh, observe the more seasoned veterans and absolutely hear what they have to say and steal all you can from them. I, I went to yeah. educate. Yeah. I went to college <laughs> to be a teacher, and the only thing I remember is there was a theorist, an educational theorist called uh, Harry Wong, and he said the secret of uh, being a good teacher is to steal, steal everything you can. Yeah. So, yeah. Similar with preaching, and then I, I also can sympathize with you having people you have really good conversations with and you really wish you could stick around and uh, yeah. see, what, see what comes of them. And you, you, it's, a, it's a negative, I guess, for uh, mission missional trips like this is you, you have a good conversation and you don't have any way of – you're watering. You're watering or you're sowing. Exactly, and, exactly. And you never know what's going to come of it till. Uh, sometime in the next 10,000 years. Uh, how about you, uh, Jacob? Do you have any uh, exciting stories, fun stories, intriguing stories to recount for us? Yeah, I'll go with a couple. So I, I'm surprised nobody brought up some of the difficulties yet, but I, I want to bring up one. But, you know, sleeping in the cell block was quite the experience. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, it was like 19 guys to a room, right? Something like that. And so there was this whole dynamic that I walked into that I was, you know, I come from a hockey background, so I'm used to like figuring out going on road trips, like having to figure out sleeping arrangements and just traveling, dealing with whatever. So I felt a little more accustomed, but man, walk into that was something else. And I think it, it added a layer of both difficulty and uh, depth to the whole experience. What I mean by that is you have to struggle through like not having the proper sleeping that you're used to mm-hmm. guys getting up super early in the morning, all kinds of different smells and noises and whatever else going on. So <laughs> God help the guys who didn't sleep very well. I mean, he did, I saw it. And that's where I really wanted to go with this is that 
God abounded grace to each of us, and especially to the guys who struggled with sleep. And that was just one little example that I saw come through really clearly about God providing grace necessary to do the work. You know, a lot of guys were tired. A lot of us would get, you know, through the eight hours, seven hours, seven or eight hours, our feet would hurt. We'd be tired, sore, whatever, go back at very minimal sleep, get up the next day. And then it's the prayer and the worship that recharges. Yeah. Go out and do it again. And it was just, it was really cool to see that grace kind of flow. So that, that was one really um, endearing thing for me. And the other one was really going to uh, Ybor City. So sacred chickens aside and all that kind of thing. Um, man, that was an experience going out with the teams and just seeing the tension and the pressure build up in that place. Because the day before, we were at one of the, the activities, Super Bowl activities, and there was this huge line we'd preach to. So I kind of had an idea of what that would look like. But at Ybor City, you could just see this pressure build up. These people started to show up and go up and down the street. And then it turned into like this big vanity fair with the cars going by with like the big sound oh, yeah. systems and the spinner wheels. People like hanging on, literally hanging on top of the cars, like trying to dance and do whatever they do. It was just, man, it was a circus. It was a circus. <laughs> and it was a prime area to see a lot of the different guys handle those situations with their own styles, right? So I'm just alluding again to those examples that I got to see and the opportunities that came out of being right there in the thick of it. I mean, you guys remember, maybe you want to speak to it, but we ended up talking with those two Muslim guys who came up oh, to yeah. us after some street preaching and talking with them. I mean, how cool was that? Yeah, it was really neat uh, getting to see that because uh, Tristan has been praying, been praying pretty steady, wanting to do a mosque outreach here at home. And it was cool seeing that God sent the mosque outreach to him in a sense. So that was pretty neat. And uh, let me think. Yeah, there, there was somewhat like, one of the funny things, Joe, I don't know if it was it. No, it was Dan. I think Dan Davis, is that his name? Yeah, Dan Davis gets up to preach and he's like, well, isn't this the oldest, oldest bunch of teenagers I've ever seen? And that's like exactly what it was like. All these uh, people driving by in their cars the way I used to drive by in my Mustang in high school, revving the engine, and trying to look cool and like, 40, late 30s, 40-year-old 40 woman flashing people and all kinds of insanity, man. Uh, sleeping, though, speak on that. Uh, I have a hard time sleeping when it's super quiet. I didn't bring a fan or anything, and I was never more thankful in my life for a bunch of people snoring. Like you. Did I, did I really snore? Yeah, dude. You're cutting the tree. <laughs> Wow. Good. Turn. I hope it helped you sleep the way everyone else helped me. So we have about five minutes left in the show. Um, and maybe kind of one final question. I'm just going to take it because I can. Um, why should someone think about doing the Super Bowl outreach with sports fan outreach or even the Derby or some of the others kind of with your experience why someone should do it. And so we can just start. Um, since Jason was a lead, we'll start with someone else. Jacob, you want to start us? Yeah, I'll hit it. So uh, I would advocate 
definitely doing it if there is anybody who's in my same position. And that is somebody who's been exposed to open air, who wants to see it done rightly, who wants to get some kind of bearings, figure it out, figure out how this works, what it looks like. Definitely go to one of these. One of the um, things that I anticipated, let's say, I I anticipated being around like 88 other evangelists. And what I had pictured in my mind was some guys who did street preaching, but also did the one-on-ones and everything else, you know, and it's good and well that happened. But all of the intricacies around seeing models, I did not expect that. The worship, the prayer time, the fellowship, the encouragement, the lessons, the little side conversations, the little meal topics, all those other little intangible things. Mm-hmm. Mm, hard, really, really hard to quantify how valuable that is. And as I said at the beginning of this, I'm still chewing on the lessons that I learned from that. And it was such an encouragement to me to go there and to see it and to have those different interactions. And then one more point. Personally, I was at a point in my spiritual growth where I was asking the Lord is if this is something I should continue doing, you know, open air. And God used that in very providential ways. He used that trip to spur me onward to continue pursuing this ministry. So if you're in that kind of spot, I would totally recommend going to this. It seemed like this is what they do. Felt like family, felt like being around guys. Like these are my people. That's what I felt like when I was there. It was just... (laughs) It was so endearing, and I would totally recommend it. You got a third point to finish off that sermon? No, no, I don't alliterate either. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Trenton? Yeah, I, I would say just kind of piggybacking off of what Jacob just said. Um, for me personally, I, I've been praying as well uh, for God to continue to reveal to me if, if open air is something that, I've, that I should continue to pursue. Uh, that's, that's been a prayer of mine uh, as well. And this, this event, I would say catapulted me into the, just, just the notion of, yes, this is something that God wants me to do. I I was just able to learn so much, uh, from guys there that have been do that do this full time that have been doing this for years. And you're able to hear them speak and, and preach, and then you're able to interact with them and, they're then able to help you, um, you know, give you advice on, on how to be a better street preacher and, and things of that sort. So I would just say, you know, if somebody is going for the first time, just for that aspect of experiencing guys who have been doing this for years, I would say, go do it. And then these guys will equip you and help you in your preaching. Jason, you got anything else to add? <laughs> Um, yeah, just, just real quick. I got to get this in. Um, so, so one of everything they said, uh, when I I was thinking back to when I first started a thousand percent, the other thing, and if you talk to other team leaders, they'll tell you the same thing. And even the seasoned guys, um, is never stop learning. And even if you get seasoned or more experienced, these events are, uh, a wealth of information that you can't read in books. Um, the street preaching sometimes are things that you need to be taught, um, on the job kind of thing. And so you're not going to read them in books. There's no, uh, there's nothing you can go to. Uh, if I share something just real quick, um, as a team leader, I don't get to preach as much because I'm watching the team and doing stuff like that. But when I do and so forth, I still try to use those learning things. And I watch, you know, Nathaniel or Ken or these other guys, and I'm always trying to find something else to learn. And, and other approaches in my preaching. And, and there was a girl that came up and um, she, um, she was just pulled in by the preaching. 
And um, as I was going through the part where I was talking about repentance and faith and what it looks like to be truly born again, one of the things I always rattle off, and you guys probably heard people talk, you know, Washer, I think has said it before, you know, that, you know, uh, you, you love what God loves, hate what God hates. You know, you love African-Americans, you hate slavery, love Jews, you hate Holocaust. And right before I said the third thing, I always say the Holy Spirit, I, I just knew this girl had had an abortion. I said, I love children. I hate abortion. And this girl's countenance, she just immediately, you could just, you know, I went back and um, I can't publish the video because I told her I wouldn't publish it. She saw my camera towards the end. She said, please don't post this. I showed it to my pastor and a couple other folks, but I'm not going to put it out there. But safe to say that, that, that as I'm going through this with her, and she is just completely coming apart. She is just broken because she realizes that she has murdered her baby. Um, this is the learning piece. Sean Keefe was there. And if you guys don't know Sean Keefe, you didn't mean uh, hook up with this guy. He's in North Carolina with Tommy Waltz. Sean does a lot of abortion uh, kill mill ministry. I can stand outside of a kill mill and call people to repentance all the live long day. But Sean has that post-abortive, that pastoral kind of counseling piece to it that he's way more experienced. And, and, the, and this is part of the guys talked about praying and being ready. Nothing that I was clever, but the spirit just put it on me, get Sean over here. So I said, Hey, Sean, can you come pray with us? And, and that was just the crack in the door to get Sean over. And when Sean came over, this is where we got to put our pride aside. I kind of stepped back a little bit in the conversation and watched how Sean ministered to her because I wanted to learn the next time I come across somebody who's had an abortion, who is broken. And there was one point where she says, I didn't have enough faith. And it was that point in these conversations where you're like, man, I don't want to lose this fish that I got on the line. And he says, and he real softly in a real kind voice, and he looks at her and he had to say it. She had to own it. He says, she said, I didn't have enough faith. And he says, he said, so you murdered your baby. And she just come unglued. I mean, it was just all over again. And at one point, I mean, she belted out in tears. I just want to hold my Pisces baby that she, she had a late abortion two months before this two months before we were down there and the baby would have been born in February. So moments like that, um, you can't read in a book. You, you, you can't, you can be told about it, but until you experience that, and get to see somebody mature in their faith and in their ministry, like Sean is um, that's, that's one of the biggest things of why you should come to these events is for the Robert Graves, the Joe toys, the Mark Yoho's Michael Coglins, and these guys, these other guys, Joe Henson and Heath and these, all these guys, Dan Davis, one of the best old Testament open air preachers I've ever heard. You get with these guys, just watch them, just watch. Cause as, as the number, a good reason to come is just because you're going to be exposed to a lot of great preachers you can learn from and you'll continue learning as long as you have a willing spirit. Amen. Well, brothers, it really was uh, a pleasure having you guys on the program and sharing your experiences, uh, sharing testimonies from this last Super Bowl. Uh, really hope that those who have listened to this program would be encouraged. And if you are desiring to uh, go out and do some open air preaching uh, here at G220, we, we, we are very big on the local church, and so we would encourage you to go and speak with your elders, your pastors, and 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 those that are are, are discipling you to to get some information and some uh, uh, teaching from them, as well as then um, an encouragement from them and, and a blessing as well. Uh, but then to uh, go out to one of these events where you can go and learn from these brothers. Uh, that are there. And as you've already heard, there's many, many experiences. Many uh, of these brothers have been doing it for many, many years. Uh, and there's a lot of wisdom. 
that they have. There's a lot of uh, experiences that they have and they can share. And, and everybody does things differently. And so, you know, like you've heard these guys say, you can learn from a lot of these different guys and in different ways to approach things and, uh, and then get back to your homes and, and take the things that you learned. And as the Bible says, when we, when we hear things in the word, we're not just hearers of it, but we're doers also. So that when we take those things that we learned, we can go and apply them uh, in the areas in which we live to be witnesses for Christ, making disciples as we go through life, uh, whether it be out there preaching on the streets or in one-to-one conversations or running into people in the grocery store. However it may be, we're called to make disciples. And so uh, thank you, brothers, for coming on the program tonight. Uh, really do appreciate it. Uh, for Mike, Natty P, and myself, that's been G220 Radio. Until next time, God bless.